Today on State Scoop's Priorities podcast from Scoop News Group, the secret sauce to success in a federated environment. We serve as you know a, a guide and um, an advisor, and we we're there to work with the agencies to provide the solutions that work for them and work for the constituencies that they serve. Why the stakes for state and local collaboration are so high. With the risk being at the lowest level, it's important, and, and the governor identified it, that we just don't have visibility over the state enterprise, but we have visibility over the entire state enterprise, if you will, down to the county level. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Portland, Oregon has lost $1.4 million after a business email compromise. The city says a malicious actor gained access to a government email account in late April, but the fraudulent activity was only caught several weeks later. The FBI, Secret Service, and city police are all investigating. Somerset County, New Jersey has been hit with ransomware. The county, which is just outside of New York City, had to set up temporary Gmail addresses to stay in touch with residents after the attack took down its email server and other services. Courts, emergency services, and 911 are all operating normally. Maryland is the second state in the U.S. to offer its state ID cards on the Apple Wallet app. The state's Motor Vehicle Administration said digital copies of state-issued driver's licenses and IDs can now be used on Apple devices. The IDs, however, can only be used at TSA checkpoints. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Texas is one of a handful of states turning to a mobile or mobile-like experience to change the way it delivers government services to state residents. The Lone Star State's version is called Texas by Texas, or TXT. It, It allows residents to renew professional licenses as well as driver's licenses. More services are coming to the app soon. Texas CIO Amanda Crawford says TXT is a key piece of the state's digital services modernization. Well, we're really excited about Texas by Texas, or TXT, as we call it. So this has been a project that's been multi-years in the making. You know, really the concept of bringing digital government services in a secure, easy to use format um, for Texans and trying to really modernize um, the experience. And really it's, a, it's an experience with the constituents in mind, trying to model uh, the delivery of those government services um, to constituents in the same way that they're accustomed to dealing with the private sector. So if you, uh, back in 2019, We started with um, an occupational license renewal for our massage therapists. And once we built uh, the success of that with the launch for for those licenses, we moved on and got what we'd call our anchor tenants uh, with our Department of Motor Vehicles and our Department of Public Safety. So now Texans can renew their driver's license, including changing your address on the driver's license and your emergency contact, and renew your vehicle registration all through a few taps on the app. It's uh, single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, and it securely connects you in a quick and easy manner to those key services. And so in the six months since we did the big launch of TXT, which is available both as a web application and a uh, native mobile app with both Google and Apple, um, in those six months, we have more than 1.4 million Texans which is 6% of the eligible uh, Texans who can, uh, who are eligible to have licenses. So, you know, 16 and older, um, and more than 1.8 million transactions. More importantly, it's thousands of hours that we're saving for Texans where they're not standing in line, but instead going out and doing the great things 
in our state that, that make it the place where everyone wants to live. Yeah, and, and you know, so uh, you talk about DMV, you talk about DPS uh, being on, on that platform. What, what's coming on the horizon? Who are you working with next to bring their services online as well? So we have quite a few that we're in talks with. One of them is, you know, we have it's like so many states, so many different licensing systems um, for all the different agencies and the occupational licenses. So, you know, long-term vision would be to pull all those in um, and make it a more seamless experience um, for the constituents. Um, also, you know, certainly talking to our parks and wildlife, the variety of licenses that they have as well. And I think as word spreads, we're also getting some interest from the local governments, trying to see what services they might be able to incorporate into it as well. That's great. You talked about uh, the, the modernized look and feel and the, the modernized delivery of those services. How does Texas by Texas fit into your overall modernization efforts and strategy statewide? Sure, so um, ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's really just that, that, that portal, right? It's the platform, it's the same services that we're connecting our constituents to through texas.gov when they go online, but it's in that easy, mobile, secure um, uh, format that again, kind of gives that private sector feel. So as part of the modernization effort is we want to be able to move more and more applications into that and connect it, but ultimately we're going to have to modernize those underlying applications and the infrastructure there. And so that's a little bit of a longer term goal, um, but we're there and it's nice to have that path forward to see that these are the kind of things we can bring in once we do complete those modernizations. And when you're we're work, when you're working on modernizing processes and things like that to make them ready for something like this, I mean, that's not an easy process, right? There are so many variables that go into it, so many conversations that you need to have with agencies and with other leaders. What's that process like for you? How do you sort of do some of that hard work and, and keep your teams moving on these projects? So, so much of it, particularly in our role, you know, as a federated state, and we um, we serve as, you know, a, a guide and um, an advisor, and we, we're there to work with the agencies to provide the solutions that work for them and work for the constituencies that they serve. Um, we don't serve Texans directly, it's our customer agencies that do, and so those agencies are going to know their customers best. So when we work with them on modernizing, we want to make sure that it's not just a lift and shift of the existing paper processes, but we're really looking at truly how to make government more efficient and modernize the whole thing. Um, at, at the end of the day, we have the technology. We know that the technology is there. Um, it's really modernization efforts are usually people issues and money issues. And, and sometimes those are the two toughest to tackle. You talked a little bit earlier about cybersecurity and, and the, the security that a platform like uh, Texas by Texas provides, but uh, cybersecurity is, is no stranger to Texas. There's right. been uh, a lot of work done in the last year, two years mm -hmm. on the cyber front, state ramp, or uh, the Tex ramp, uh, the regional cybersecurity operations centers. Uh, tell us a little bit more about some of those efforts and, and where you're at right now. Sure. So, uh, Tex ramp, um, which is a complement to the Fed ramp, state ramp programs um, for uh, cloud products and services here in Texas. We have since January 1, when uh, it was officially implemented, uh, certified more than 754 um, products and services. Now, I will say that um, that was a stat yesterday. It could have been more <laughs> since then, since the team is hard at work. Um, but yeah, at least 754 of those. Um, we have also um, published on our website a um, mutual aid agreement framework for these regional um, cybersecurity working groups. That was something that was also um, uh, put into law by Senate Bill 475. 
that we had from the last session. And so now those are available for uh, private sector, public sector in, to form their own regional working groups to support each other in the time of a cyber incident. Um, and we've also um, put out the uh, applications and con contractual documents for our volunteer incident response team, or what we call our, our VERT, which is our version of a cyber militia, if you will. Um, and we have, uh, we're ap actively seeking applications. So anyone who's out there that wants to apply, <laughs> they can do so now at dir.texas.gov. And one of the most exciting things that we've been working on um, is the Regional Security Operations Center pilot. And um, our legislature uh, provided us the authority and the funding last session to partner with a public university in Texas to create a security operations center to provide that secure network infrastructure, the monitoring, um, the outreach, the education, and that boots on the ground incident response should there be an incident for any of those local governments in the area. Uh, we've partnered with Angelo State University to roll out the pilot. We're very excited about how quickly, based on their plan, that they're gonna be able to hit the ground running and get out there and start serving those communities in West Texas. And the good news is, I mean, it's a tough problem to have or a good problem to have. We had tremendous responses from our universities. So we know we have some other universities with great plans that are on deck and we're hopeful that we'll get the funding to implement more of those centers soon. That's awesome. You talk about partnering with a university like San Angelo State, uh, brings to mind a lot of the conversations that we're having at a conference like this about workforce. Um, tell us a little bit about how you're approaching the workforce, bringing that talent into Texas state government to, to get some of this stuff done. Yeah, workforce is definitely one of the biggest challenges. You know, at, at the end of the day, whether we're talking about modernization, cybersecurity, um, just the day-to-day -day running of the state agents or technology infrastructure, we need people to do that. And um, the workforce challenges, both in the security space and just the technology space, are, are very real, both in the private sector, but particularly for the public. I mean, we're competing, um, particularly in the Austin area, with a thriving um, technology industry. Um, we have, you know, we the public sectors, we're not gonna be able to compete with the salaries. We can try. But we do have um, that the mission, and we are very mission-driven, and the opportunity to be able to really do good work that can help the people of Texas. So it is a uh, priority initiative for us. Um, it's conversations we're having with our legislature. In fact, there is an interim charge right now with our legislature to look at workforce issues and to see how the state can perhaps tackle those when we're looking at you know inflation, rising housing prices, uh, traffic, all those other things that, that really contribute to um, uh, challenges when it comes to retention and recruitment. Amanda Crawford, CIO of Texas. You can read more about her and Texas by Texas on statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Both Crawford and the app were winners of the 2022 Statescoop 50 Awards this year. You can also find a link to those winners there as well. New York's Cyber Collaboration Center is up and running in Brooklyn, but much more is on the horizon for how the state facilitates sharing with local governments around information security. Angelo Tony Riddick, the state's CIO, says the center is designed to pull everything together and take advantage of the latest endpoint security technology to save the state from big cyber attacks. He says the creation of the center is a testament to how Governor Kathy Hochul sees cyber in the state. You know, because of Governor Hochul's emphasis on cybersecurity and her support of the entire program, she initiated the Joint Security Operations Center as you said, we're running it out of Metro Tech in Brooklyn. 
The scheme of maneuver for it is that the concept of operations is that we're going to work with local governments, county, state, and we're going to work with major cities to produce a one-of-its-kind threat awareness and threat analysis organization that in the future will have the capability of mitigation and re remediation of cyber threats. In the meantime, we're working on facilitating it with personnel, which we've hired, and putting in the equipment, which we've done. One of the key things that we're gonna be doing in the summer is developing and refining the processes so that it's not only a one of its kind operation, but it sets the standard for cyber operations throughout the United States. And so, you know, that uh, while it will be the first of its kind in New York, it's, it's not the first cyber sharing organization in the country. How are you learning from some of the other ones like the MSISAC or the LA Cyber Lab? Uh, how are you learning from some of those folks to bring some of those lessons? To so here's our advantage. We're going to be working with those governmental agencies, sharing with them the data that we have and taking lessons learned and then looking at the patterns that they're providing to us so that we can use this data correctly and make our cyber approach pervasive throughout the state. And, you know, local government uh, anywhere, collaboration with local government presents some huge challenges because of uh, size, scale, budget, resources. So, you know, why is this center the place to bring in everyone from, you know, Orange County, New York to, uh, you know, Kings County mm -hmm. uh, together to work on With this? the risk being at the lowest level, it's important, and the, and the governor identified it, that we just don't have visibility over the state enterprise, but we have visibility over the entire state enterprise, if you will, down to the county level with the new types of endpoint security protection devices and operations that are available. It'll give us more visibility and our ability to assist them in mitigating the threat in the future. And when you when you look at a center like this, uh, what does that collaborative effort enable you to do from a purchasing perspective to leverage some of this technology that's out there, the automation, the emerging technology, all of these great products that vendors at a conference like this want to talk to you about? What does that enable you to do? Well, we've become attractive to the vendor now. They're helping us in the solutioning section of deciding which technologies are best for the state of New York. There's some things out there that we don't even know about that the vendors are doing now. Of course, we're going to be reasonable and prudent with our decision-making process and selecting these processes and products that they offer. But we think we have a distinct advantage because they're interested in supporting us. And with their interest and support, it puts us on the leading edge of cybersecurity for the state of New York. And, and let's talk a little bit about, about you here. I mean, you come to New York from the Virgin Islands. You've had a, a multitude of other roles uh, across the community working in this stuff. I mean, how do those lessons that you've learned throughout your career sort of build to this moment and to a facility like the JSOC and, and to work like you're doing now? I think every opportunity for me has been a teachable and learnable moment. Uh, as a young military officer, I worked as an infantry person. I learned about people and responsibilities. As a mid-grade officer, I was a logistician, so I understood about distribution and logistics in general. And later on in my career, I was blessed with being a cyber professional in the Army before the Army even designated cyber as a career field. I worked with Army Cyber Command. So what I did is I built a mantra of people, understanding people. That's not only the people I work with, but the people that I serve, making sure that customers, this trite statement of customers being number one is more important to me. Customers are important. Customers should be looked at and listened to. With regards to processes, I've refined these processes over the years and I understood that 
I needed to bring things down to the lowest common denominator and make these processes repeatable over time so that we can not only set the standard, but set the pathway for the future in developing processes. With regards to products, I got a plethora of education, if you will, with understanding how products assist in customer support and delivery. There are tools out there, there are products out there that I've learned to assess over the years and with the help of a good team, make a decision on providing the best for the customers that we support. And then one thing that I've learned in my journey is that we introduce technology before we introduce the policy. So understanding that if there's a new widget or gadget out there, I have to understand that it has to perform within a certain standard and meet certain regulatory guidance. Of course, public sector has that guidance already laid out there, but we understand the emphasis on policy. So my journey has put me to the point where I've taken those four Ps and I practice those at work and I insist on top of core values that my team understands the importance of these as well. And you know, when you uh, come to a conference like this, every, every, uh, every conference there's that opportunity to meet and greet with the next class of CIOs and get to know the new people that are taking on leadership across the community. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you give them when you hear of a new CIO? What do you, you call them up, you say, hey, uh, here's what I've learned, here's like that number one thing that you have to take away. I make, first of all, I make myself approachable and I make myself accessible. And I seek out the new faces. I congratulate them for being selected to work with their states or their territories. And I offer my services because we've had a vast number of experiences, my wife and I, in the IT industry, in the public sector, and of course on the DOD side as well. So I think it's important for me to be approachable, to be friendly, and make sure that I make myself available to my peers because it's one team, one fight. I got that from the military. If I learn something and I don't pass it on, it's not gonna be good for this nation. It's not gonna be good for our state. We just can't hold it. I have to pass these things on. So I think of every opportunity as a teachable moment. My peers are gonna get the best of me when it comes to that. So we talked about cyber. We talked a little bit about leadership just there. Uh, you know, between now and, and sort of the, the, the annual conference toward the end of the year, what are some of those other top focuses for you as you're looking ahead? Right now, I am working on my strategic plan. As you know, in New York, our budget season starts in April. So what I task my subordinate units with is developing an internal strategic plan. And what I'm going to do is leverage their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats in developing a new strategic plan, which leverages our roadmap, our technology roadmap. Never done this before. You know, we as visionaries always think way out and we vision. But I've learned a lesson since I've been in New York. I want to take my technology roadmap, that plan that we have five years from now, that speaks to things like IL2, MFA, those things that we eventually, and the, and the utilization of AI, and build that into my strategic plan. So make that technology roadmap match my strategic plan so we have meat on that bone finally and not just a pie-in-the-sky vision. So I'm anxious about that, and we're going to be working on that this quarter. Tony Riddick, CIO for the state of New York. You can read more about him and cybersecurity on statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people like you will find the show. Thank you.
This podcast is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.